Greetings, I'm John Duvall. Welcome back to another Truth Factor discussion. You know, we're going to try something new, somewhat consistently, we'll see. The fourth Thursday of each month, we're going to try to make it a Q&A session. Now, there are still some things we're going to iron out about the details of it. Um, but today, we're, we've got a couple questions we're going to ask answer. We're going to approach three of them. Uh, maybe more. We'll just see about time and, and if others come in. And then next week, we're going to start our study through Ecclesiastes. So if you, if you like the study through the book of Ecclesiastes, be sure to join us next week as we begin that study. And we may keep the Q&A on the fourth Thursday of the month going with that study. That's some of the things we're still trying to iron out with that. But today, again, we're going to look at questions uh, that have been not necessarily presented here. Some of these questions have come from our own experience as preachers, things that we've had to deal with, um, things that we've been asked about. Hopefully through the course of time, now that we've got Truth Factor discussion going again, um, if you have something that you'd like for us to talk about, maybe a question or something, feel free to let us know. Now, if you're watching us live on our Facebook page, then use the comment area that is directly connected to this live video feed and let us know your thoughts, questions, comments that you might have. If you're watching this on our YouTube channel, and both of these are Truth Factor Live, if you're on our YouTube channel, then use the chat area there to leave your questions or comments. You'll also see at the bottom of the screen, there's a little ticker and it shares uh, like our email address questions at truthfactorlive.com. I don't always check that during the course of our study, but we will get to that. And you can even send us a text message if you wanted to. You'll see that number at the bottom of the screen as well. But let's go ahead and bring everyone back into the study here for just a moment. Now, Here's the questions that we're going to try to consider today. Good thing these are just very easy and simple questions. First question we'll be talking about, what is the meaning of baptism with fire? Okay, that's going to come from Jesus' statement there, or more John's statement, I should say, about Jesus would baptize him with the Holy Spirit and with fire. And then the second question, time permitting, we'll be talking about, does baptism automatically make you a member of a local church? So you've been studying with someone and they obey the gospel. And so they are baptized into Christ. Then the next Sunday, they start worshiping with you. Do they have to do something to identify, place membership with that local congregation? What does the Bible say about that? And the, the third one, again, if time permitting, is more along the lines of, does God require a Christian to expressly repent of every sin? Or is it possible for a Christian to say, as Jesus taught his disciples to pray, Father, forgive me of my sins as I forgive those that have sinned against us. Exactly, you know, what, well, what is the answer to those questions? And it's possible that you might disagree with some of our answers. It's possible the four of us may disagree um, with, with our viewpoints on these things. But we're going to at least do our best to have a good discussion about these questions. Brian, unfortunately, had to step away this morning, so I know it will be a good discussion because he's not here to rattle the cage. Now, and also, you need one more bunch of preachers, live stream, offering to answer your Bible questions. It's not like no one else has done this before. I'm being very facetious with that. So on, let's go ahead and start with the baptism of fire and... And that was the one Brian was going to tackle, but I think we should go ahead and talk about this. So, Paul, do you want to step up to the plate and um, and maybe just kind of 
touch on this? I think I caught Paul off guard there. Sorry, that's all right. Um, and I think we can do that. I think uh, what we could do is take a look at uh, as just a matter of uh, kind of introducing the topic uh, is that it certainly is a, uh, a biblical topic for us to discuss. In fact, I was pulling up my, uh, my Bible here and uh, we might look at, at some ideas. Um, sorry about that. Um, look at some ideas that, that would help us to see that. I didn't have Brian's document pulled up. I remember reading through it and he did a, uh, a very nice job. Uh, and, uh, you did catch me off guard. So, uh, my I may, bad I on may, that one, Paul. That's all right. I may hand that off and then let me come right back to you on that. Yeah. Go ahead, Brendan. Why don't you pick that one up? Okay, well, uh, John caught me off guard there. Um, I'm looking at the notes here. No, that's fine. I'm looking at the notes here. I'm trying to find in my Bible. I thought that was in the beginning of Matthew's gospel, but I'm, I'm, uh, Matthew 311. Well, let's just go to Matthew 311. Um, you know, uh, it's I probably should have went to Tom friend. first. It sounds like. <laughs> So Matthew chapter 3 and verse 11, you know, set the context. We have the preaching of John the Baptist. Uh, and this is the ministry before Jesus comes on the scene. We understand that John the Baptist, his mission was foretold in Isaiah, as Mark's gospel tells us, that he is the one, he's the voice crying out in the wilderness, make straight the way of the Lord. He's the one who comes before the Messiah to make everything ready. Malachi also talks about this. And Malachi chapter 4 is also what tells us that John the Baptist will come to prepare the way of the Messiah. Now, Jesus later will identify John the Baptist as coming in the spirit of Elijah to make all things ready. And so when we see John the Baptist's preaching, you know, in Matthew's account here in verses 11 and 12, he says, As for me, I baptize you with water for repentance. But he who is coming after me is mightier than I, and I am not fit to remove his sandals. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. His winnowing fork is at hand, and he will thoroughly clear his threshing floor. And he will gather his wheat into the barn, but he will burn up the chaff with unquenchable fire. Now, there's a couple different ways or different ways we can answer this. And I think when it comes to the Bible, sometimes a verse might have more than one application or one meaning behind it. Um, and so within context, it seems to me that John is using the language as of Old Testament prophets, of talking about impending judgment and uh, against the sinners and the wicked people. Uh, what was the message on the Baptist again? He came to preach a baptism of repentance for remission of sins in Mark chapter 1 there around verse 18, I believe. So his mission there is to get the people to turn their hearts back to God and start following him again. And so within Matthew's account in chapter 3 here in verse 11, we see a similar message. He's preaching a baptism of repentance. So they're, they're undergoing this washing as a sign of they are turning around, they're turning their minds back to God. And he says the one who comes after him, referring to Jesus, will baptize with the Holy Spirit. He's going to give the Spirit, and we could go to Acts 2 and the prophecy of Joel, and Joel 2 to talk about what that means there. 
and John adds, and fire. Now, I think in verse 12, that's why I read it, I think we have identified what fire is. His winnowing fork is at hand. He will thoroughly clear his threshing floor. He will gather his wheat into the barn, but he will burn up the chaff with unquenchable fire. What immediately comes to my mind is the parable of the wheat and the tares, a parable that Jesus himself taught. When he talks about how the enemy sowed tares among the wheat, and the servants asked the master, shall we rip up the tares now? He says, no, we'll wait till harvest, and then we'll gather up the wheat and we'll cast out the chaff. So I think John, what he's preaching here is the twofold or the full mission of the Christ. That is first, he he came to pour out God's spirit in our way of saying salvation for mankind. And his final mission, as it were, when he comes back, it will not, he will come back not for salvation. He already came the first time for that. He's going to come back for judgment. So the baptism of fire then, I think, is looking forward to the second return, the second coming of Jesus and judgment there. So I'll open up to the panel, and, you know, if you want to disagree with me, that's okay. I was thinking <laughs> I was thinking about this previously, and I was thinking about uh, that fire being a very purifying kind of thing. The Bible talks about the dross being burned off and, uh, and things of that nature, and that to do that, to purify something, you would have to immerse it uh, in the fire. And I thought a little bit about that, that they were going to, much like Jesus was going to have, and I know there are some different, I know the Bible says there's one baptism, there's one baptism applicable to all believers, but there's some ways in which baptism is used in, in other scriptures. And I thought maybe it had to do with uh, some of the suffering and, and the, uh, how that was going to bring about within the believers, uh, within the apostles in particular, uh, was going to prove their purity Prove what they were made of. Uh, they were going to be baptized uh, in, in a sense in which uh, the uh, fire would prove uh, that they were pure, prove that what the message that they would bring forth was true, that even in the face of intense persecution, they would never give up their faith. Just a thought. Well, the um, I, I think those are kind of the, the two primary primary ideas behind this. I tend to lean to what Brendan's explanation was when looking at that, that um, go back to, you know, think about what uh, Joel chapter two, verses 38 and or 32 to 38, I believe it was Joel two thirty-eight talks about when he says, I'll pour out my spirit on all flesh. And oftentimes when you look at children of Israel, it was either one or the other, either the spirit of the Lord was with them. They were in fellowship, new Testament term with God. He was, in the, they were in this presence in the temple, or he was completely removed from them because of their sin. And oftentimes, if there wasn't repentance, then the idea of the fire of the Lord judgment coming down. So I, I kind of see it that way. But I've heard others, though, as Paul was talking about, thinking about First Corinthians chapter three, I believe it is, uh, a fire being something that would refine something, you know. And there, there was there 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 is a truth to the fact that as Christians, um, even during the first, especially during the first century. The trials and persecutions would either get rid of us, if you would, or strengthen us. Going back to Hebrews chapter 12 and the discussion there on that. I would not um, argue with uh, Brendan's explanation yeah. at all, uh, you know, but but I was just kind of giving a way that I've looked at this, uh, at least in, in some times. Hey. I think that either either one of those kinds of things, you could point to other scriptures 
which is a good way to study, by the way, uh, is to look at other scriptures that would reveal more about your particular view of that. So appreciate yeah. uh, all the thoughts. Right. You know, uh, something else to think about along this line is uh, fire can do both things at one time. Yes. You know, I mean, I, I, I mean, I mean, I mean, think about that, you know, uh, the, the, the fire, uh, the fire, depending on who gets it, I mean, it'll, it'll either purify them or it'll destroy them. And, and, you know, both of them, both of them apply. We know that we know one way judgment is described for second Thessalonians one eight in flaming fire. God will take vengeance on those who do not know, uh, you know, yeah. know, know him, yeah. you know, have any of you heard and, and have any of you heard about the possibility of describing the fire being a reference to the another reference to the Holy Spirit and maybe as it would apply to the apostles receiving the Holy Spirit? Acts two. Uh tongues of fire. Yeah, Acts two, one and two. Yeah, you you got that as a, I guess you would call it a third alternative. I I yeah. I don't think that that's what John's talking about. I don't think that fits the context of John. But yeah. that is another observation, just kind of emphasizing emphasizing the work of the Holy Spirit. So. The other thing is when you go back to the context of Jesus of John's discussion, and let me bring this up, and I'm going to be reading this from Brendan's very new version of the Bible he has come to <laughs> like and love. It's actually a Legacy Standard Bible. It's pretty good, um, pretty pretty good. Um, we talked, we talked about that a couple, about I think a week, week ago, but anyway, but when he saw many of the Pharisees and Sadducees coming for his baptism, he said to them, you brood of vipers who warned you to flee from the wrath to come, therefore bear fruit in keeping with repentance and do not suppose that you can say to yourselves. And he continues there, the message of John the baptizer, as well as Jesus and the apostles was repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. This wasn't simply, now you need to get ready because I'm going to establish the church. It was repent, turn away, turn back to God because the kingdom of heaven was coming and only few would enter into that <clears throat> kingdom. Only a handful would be ready. And so when you think about Old Testament prophecies of the day of the Lord coming, there's a strong sense when on the day of Pentecost, as we normally say, that's when the church began, um, but going back when Jesus ascended up to the right-hand side of his father 10 days earlier, the kingdom of God came with fierceness in a very mighty way. And individuals who were unwilling to accept the message, they couldn't enter into that kingdom, much like the wedding feast. And if they couldn't enter into the kingdom, all that was left for them was the, the, the rejection and the fiery indignation. And I, many times I think when we preach on repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand, we might kind of soften that a little bit, if that makes sense. But go ahead, mm -hmm. Brendan. Well, and if we go over to Mark's account, uh, Mark, uh, or Peter, through the pen of Mark, he doesn't use a whole lot of Old Testament scriptures, but when he does, they're very significant. And he does quote from Malachi chapter uh, 3, I believe, there in verse 1. But if we go to the end of Malachi in chapter 4, uh, time of the day of the Messiah, he says, For behold, the day is coming, burning like a furnace, and all the arrogant and every worker of wickedness will be chaff. And that day yeah. is coming and will set them aflame, says Yahweh of hosts. And then at the end of that chapter, we have, I'm going to send you Elijah who will prepare my way. And so yeah. we, we get the lining up of the Old Testament prophet of the context there of Matthew 3 and Mark chapter 1. And to their comments, you know, God can be speaking about more than one thing in one passage. 
you know, uh, if we see support for a, a passage to have multiple meanings, it might have multiple meanings. Um, because not, I've found that God doesn't do anything that's a single faceted. It's, it's always multifaceted for our benefit. So that's right. We have a comment, a couple comments coming in from the chat room. One is going to relate specifically, let's see if I can get it brought up here, to what we're saying. And, and we always love comments that agree with us. So let me <laughs> send that over. I'm jesting. I hope you know I'm jesting. Ron Griffin writes, Many think the fire refers to the tongues as a fire in Acts chapter 2, verse 3. Tom, going back to what you were commenting on earlier. But Brendan is right about the context of Matthew 3 and verse 12. And look at, think about Matthew 13, verse 40 in relation to that and Mark's record of that as well. So it's a good point. Good point. Uh, let's see. So while I have this up, we have two more questions we had scheduled to talk about, but I have one that's come up in our, on the U, the, uh, YouTube side of things. And this is from Miss Janine Bowles. Since Jesus was without sin, why did he get baptized? Okay. So that's a very good question. Let's go ahead and throw it back to the gallery here. And who wants to kind of start with that one? Since Jesus was without sin, why did he get why did he get baptized? Uh, go ahead, Brendan. <laughs> unless Tom unless Tom wants to take it. Uh so uh but in Matthew, let's just stick with Matthew's account since we're already in Matthew chapter three. So in Matthew chapter three uh in verse thirteen. Um, again, from the legacy, it says here, Then Jesus arrived from Galilee at the Jordan, coming to John to be baptized by him. But John tried to prevent him, saying, I have need to be baptized by you, and do you come to me? But Jesus answered and said to him, Permit it at this time, for in this way it is fitting for us to fulfill all righteousness. Then he permitted him. And after being baptized, Jesus came up immediately from the water, and behold, the heavens were opened, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove coming upon him. And behold, there was a voice out of the heavens saying, This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. And we can go to a couple different verses to explain this one, but I also think that we have an explanation within the text itself. That is, God, Jesus has gone in the flesh, says, you know, well, let's back up. I'm jumping ahead. John the Baptist didn't want to do this to begin with. He's like, he he understood who Jesus is, like, whoa, 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 whoa. I'm the one who should be getting baptized by you. Uh, and you're coming to me. You're greater than I am. You are God in the flesh. You're the Lamb of God. And this is why Jesus then says, permitted at this time, and here's the reason, for us to fulfill all righteousness. Now, what did we mean? What does it mean by that? John the Baptist was a recognized prophet of God which means his message came with the authority of God. And that means his message of repent and be baptized unto the remission of sins or for repentance under remission of sins, that's part of God's binding message during the ministry of Jesus, uh, during the ministry of John the Baptist, excuse me. And so this is where we might pull in Hebrews chapter 3, for example, and the contrasting at this point between Jesus and Moses. But in Hebrews chapter 3, um, excuse me. I thought that was my verse I wanted. Let's actually just go to Philippians chapter 2. I know that one will uh, make the point here. In Philippians chapter 2, in verse 6, speaking of Jesus, it says, Although 
existing in the form of God, did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a slave, being made in the likeness of men, being found in the appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God also highly exalted him and bestowed upon him the name which is above every name. So at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow of those who are in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and that every tongue will confess Jesus Christ as Lord to the glory of the Father. Why am I bringing this up? Jesus was perfectly obedient to all of God's commandments and all of God's revelation. So, if John the Baptist is speaking for God and this is a binding thing that God has sent, Jesus is showing his perfect obedience to the will of the Father by being baptized there. Um, so, that's why I think, you know, I think the scriptural answer is for why Jesus was baptized, even though he was without sin. It's not so much that he needed to have sin forgiven, it's that he needed to show, he needed to keep perfect obedience to the, the word of God there. So, yeah. Think about it. John came to prepare the way. Okay. So that would mean John's teachings prepared the way for what Jesus would institute. Mm -hmm. Okay. Baptism was a form of cleansing, ceremonial cleansing, especially for temple worship. And so John himself connects that with repentance and remission of sins. All right. But it wasn't going to be the same forgiveness of sins that would be found through the baptism of Christ. You know, the, the 12 that Paul encountered who only knew John's baptism, um, they weren't saved because they hadn't known the baptism of Christ. It was based upon his death, burial, and resurrection. They, you know, Paul says we are buried with him through baptism. So like as Christ was raised from the dead by glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in newness of life. Well, that being the case, all those baptized with John's baptism didn't rise to walk in a newness of life. If we understand mm -hmm. the, the whole concept. So, Jesus, like you, you, I think what you said is right there. He did it to fulfill all righteousness. It was to show, I think personally, the idea there is, or in so doing, let's put it like this. In so doing, he showed the people that it was something that was going to be required that was authenticated, authenticating John's baptism. And then later, the baptism that would be taught in his name would then, would be directly connected to that for the purpose of repentance and remission of sins. Mm -hmm. Anyway, just hey, some additional. John Mm -hmm. oh, right, let's go back to uh, Brendan right, Tom. and Tom. No. Yeah. yeah. Or go ahead, Tom. Yeah, okay. Yeah. Uh, were you looking for a Hebrews uh, uh, 5 8, though he was? Yeah, I was about ready to bring that in. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. yeah. Uh, so, so you got that verse there. You know, he learned obedience by the things which he suffered. Right. Let, let's, you know, that's the verse we were thinking of. He, he learned obedience in the Father's house and the things right. that he suffered. So, right. yeah. um, and then. I don't know, John, if you have a way to bring it on, but uh, Chris Kramer uh, had a really good comment on this question, um, and that's just from YouTube. He said, uh, go, something "Go ahead and read it there." Sorry. Okay, he said something to consider. Philippians two eight, uh, Jesus humbled himself and was obedient to the Father. We cannot use human reasoning to justify refusing baptism, as we are we see ourselves as good enough. And the reason why some people um, some people, let me rephrase that. Some people will latch on to Jesus being without sin and just submitting to baptism for disobedience as saying, well, you know, I, you know, he, I, I don't need to do that. That was a Jesus thing or whatever. And they'll try and wiggle out of that. But to John's comment, and maybe I'm opening a can of worms here. 
Mark makes it pretty clear. John's baptism was a baptism of repentance unto the remission of sins. It was for the forgiveness of sins. And it, it could accomplish that when that was God's command. After the cross, that's not the law anymore. You have to be baptized in the name of Jesus for the remission of sins. And so it's the same issue we deal with in Galatians or Hebrews. The law was fine when it was God's law. But now that Jesus has come, you can't go back to an old system and say, oh, I'm going to live by that. It'd be like me getting ready to file my taxes this year if I say, well, I'm going to file my taxes using the 2005 tax code. Well, <laughs> Uncle Sam's not going to like that. And I'm going to get in a lot of trouble because I can't just pick and go back to an old thing. I have to use the current code. And so when it comes to our salvation, we have to look, what did Jesus say? What did Jesus preach? What did the apostles preach after the cross and after he's raised? And so going back to that event, uh, the group that John referenced to, they had incomplete knowledge about salvation. They were familiar with the ministry of John the Baptist. Well, that was before the cross. Jesus has been dead and raised. And so that's where Paul explains more fully the gospel and that they need to be baptized in the name of Jesus. And, um, and know what the great thing is when they saw that they were mistaken, they're like, great. Somebody gave us the right knowledge. Let's act on it. So, exactly. Yeah, you know, you know, an, an interesting observation. You talk about can of worms. Uh, you, you know, we know that Jesus was without sin. You know, he was he was perfect. He he lived his life without sin and so on. But kind of interestingly, if what John was teaching was a command of God, had Jesus refused to do it, would he have? become uh, prideful uh, and various other things which would have made him a sinner. So you've got the irony. <laughs> you've got the, the, the irony associated with this, you know, even though he was without sin, yet this was a command of God, and by not doing it would have made him with sin, which means that it needed to do it for sin. So just, just a thought. One of our, one of our new members that, brought a can of worms with him. It's actual can with can of worms and a bunch of straws sticking out of the top of it. So anytime I decide to bring something up in class, I yeah, you know, I kind of have mind say, hey, bring up the can of worms real quick. We want to tackle something here. It's interesting okay, um, what Brendan said about that because in Matthew three fifteen, what Jesus says uh, to John when John has reservations about baptizing Jesus is, "Let it be so now." Uh, and so not necessarily yeah. for all future times. And then he says, Jesus's explanation, and uh, I probably wouldn't speculate anything beyond that, is uh, it's fitting for us to fulfill all righteousness. And then he consented that uh, Jesus did it because it was the right thing to do. Yeah. What the denominational world does, I don't think they fully understand. And it, it may be due to the fault of some members of the church who overly emphasize understand what i'm saying emphasize baptism so much so that it sounds like we're saying that that's all that saves you know peter says it's not the putting away the filth of the flesh but it's an answer to or an appeal to god for a good conscience it's about the fact that you're doing what the son of god told you to do and it, it's not for us to question is it you know is it really works is it really grace what Paul says, for by faith we are saved um, through grace. This is not a works. All right? We know that. But it doesn't rule out 
the physical things we've been told to do. Repentance is not only a change of heart, but a change of life. That's physical. Confessing the name of Christ. It's not just being unashamed of him, but it requires an outward expression of your belief. These things are physically um, established, but within a heart that is must first be established. So There's a pretty okay. good list of good things question. that the Bible says save, and uh, we shouldn't take any one of those uh, independently from the others. Uh, That's right. But instead, look at look at the uh, sum total of, of all that, uh, all the things that save, and make sure that we mm-hmm. put those together. But Paul, I've, have you ever known a preacher who would take one verse and build a whole position on it? <laughs> Don't answer that. <laughs> okay, um, it, you know, Paul refers to the Jews, the Pharisees, as having a veil still over their their head in relation to the law of Moses. I think oftentimes that can be very strong. There's a temptation to do that. We get so caught up in our studies and the one track that we're on that we become veiled to other passages in the scriptures that might alter our understanding. So, all right, let's, I'm going to skip Brian's question as a penalty for him not being here. Actually, if we get time, we'll come back to that, but I want to go on to the question that um, I've, so the question we're about to present is not one that someone has recently come up to me and say, John, can you answer this question for me? But it was a question that uh, someone did pose to me probably almost a year ago, if that far back, in regards to the idea of a Christian sin and how those sins are forgiven and more specifically about asking for those sins. So, so let me kind of lay it out here a little bit. Um, there is one position that says, and this is based on, I think, Revelation, where the Lord says about Jezebel, you know, I have given her time to repent. Um, the position is, is that as a Christian, we cannot be forgiven of our sins unless we expressly ask for forgiveness of each sin. And when asked the question, well, what about if it's a sin that we forgot that we did? Well, God will give you time to remember that sin so that you can repent of that sin. Um, on the other side of the equation is something we used to call continual cleansing many years ago. And the idea that was kind of behind that is that God knows your heart. So you'll automatically be forgiven of your sins as you commit them because God knows your heart. And so that's kind of the question. So my answer to it, young to what you think about this is, when you study the New Testament, you find without a doubt, think about Simon the sorcerer. Peter didn't say, hey, shame on you, but don't worry about it. God's already forgiven you because he knows your heart. He was told to repent. And so if we are fully aware of something we've done, I don't believe we should wait till we go to bed at night to ask God to forgive us. The remorse should be there. We should recognize what we've done and ask God to forgive us right away. If we refuse to do it, then where's the remorse? Where's the, the genuine sorrow behind that? And the Lord knows our hearts in that respect. But Jesus does then in his prayer or example prayer and teaching his apostles how to pray, there's that general statement, Father, forgive me of my trespasses as I forgive those who trespass against me. So can a Christian, when they lay their head down at night on their pillow, and they're praying to God, say, Lord, please forgive me of my sins as I forgive others. Now, one position would call this other a false doctrine, that you've got to remember every specific one and ask for forgiveness. Um, 
And I would almost agree with that, except for what Jesus said when he taught his apostles to pray. What are your thoughts on that, gentlemen? And those at home, too, feel free to chime in if you think that we are just like a mile off base with this. Oh, this is a challenging question. <laughs> you know, I, I mean, you know, I, uh, you know, uh, we present the questions ahead of time. Uh, or, or I should make the point that uh, we have a some discussion. Of them we do. Yeah, yeah, some of them. And, and I'm making the point that we have opportunity to discuss it. And one of the points I make about this, and I may be off base with this, but this is one of those that I think it is possible that we are guilty of striving about words. Not necessarily, but but uh, but the, the reason I say that is, I look, and John, you mentioned the two sides. You know, there is a sense in which somebody could make just the general confession, and the reason they're making a general confession is they don't want to get specific. You know, they don't want to specifically. Now you're talking publicly? Apologize. Yeah. Publicly yeah. or oh, privately? Yeah. yeah. Uh, and in that case, publicly or, or, okay. or even privately. I, I think the issue really comes down to do sins of ignorance exist? You know, I, I see somebody who is honest, who has, who's genuinely honest within their heart. They want to be right with God and they are just not sure whether they have forgotten about something. So they might go to God with a general request. You know, if I have done something, please forgive me of whatever that is. This is also the person that if they know they are guilty of a specific sin, they will acknowledge it to God specifically. But they're just, you might use the term covering their bases uh, unless, uh, 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 you know, uh, so that they won't be caught um, without it. Uh, but uh, but it's not somebody that's sweeping certain sins under the rug and you say, you know, I'm just going to make a blanket statement, but I'm not really going to acknowledge this to, to God. It's that kind of a situation. So that's what I see as the difference. I think it comes down to whether or not you believe that it is possible to be ignorant of sin. And if, if, it's, if it's possible to commit a sin in ignorance, then how are you going to be forgiven of that before God reveals it to you? You know, so I, I well, mean, uh, th there's a danger one, one, there. Yeah, one side says yeah, you so. wouldn't be until you finally remember it, and God will give you the remembrance, I guess. But but I think yeah, about a baby in Christ. Point, yeah. yeah, I think about a baby in Christ. Someone's just been converted to the truth. There's not a requirement in the Scriptures to know everything that's wrong. Yeah. All right. There are some principles, though, that you do learn that pretty much if you'll use, just think about it, you know, you can kind of rule things out automatically based on love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbors yourself. That does kind of rule things out. But um, one position would say that that new convert who's been asked to lead a prayer in the assembly, talking about a male convert, asked to lead prayer in the assembly, you know, three months in, all this time has been, you know, they did something that was wrong and didn't know it was wrong. And although they've been asking God to forgive them of their sins, God's still holding it against them and their sin, their prayers are not heard because they're out of fellowship with the Father. I, I, I think, I think what we, here's what the Bible teaches on it. If you know you did something wrong, you need to ask for forgiveness. Yep. Okay. And if you don't know that it's wrong and you don't ask for forgiveness under normal conditions, I would say until you repent, you're not going to be forgiven of it. But I'm not greater than God. 
God knows the hearts and the minds and of the that's people. That's the point. That's yeah. The point. If you have think about a broken and contrite heart. All right. David had a broken and contrite heart, but not until after Nathan challenged him on what he had done. Okay. And so I think I think that there is a sense because we don't want to limit the hands of God. He knows our minds. He knows every thought of our heart, and that's scary at times. Um, he knows if I'm refusing to repent. He knows if I'm refusing to change. He also knows if I'm really trying to serve him and I stumbled and fell and got busy that day and forgot about it. Um, so I come back to what Jesus said. If Jesus's prayer is not intended to be used in our regular life as an example, then why do we pray for food? Why do we pray for deliverance from the evil one? You know, why do we pray for those things if it was just a general figurative prayer without specific application? John, I think that if uh, if we think that we can just ignore when we know we've done wrong, uh, obviously that's uh, not not right. We, we need to acknowledge when we've sinned. Uh, but uh, there may be times in which we're, we're either unaware or we just don't uh, don't acknowledge that. In Psalm 19, I, I think what, this is the kind of thing that he's talking about in verses 12 and 13. He's talked about how the Word of God directs all of our ways and, and provides everything that we need. But then he says, who can discern his errors? Now, how, how can I know when I'm wrong? Declare me innocent from hidden faults. Uh, and then he says, keep back your servant also from presumptuous sins. And so presumptuous sins, I would think, would have the idea of, well, I think, uh, oh, God will forgive me of that. Or I don't have to worry about going and, and re repenting or, or or making things right with God over that sin. You know, leave me away from that kind of thinking. But God, if there's something that even in an innocent heart that I missed, please forgive me. Uh, forgive me my debts as I forgive my debtors or my trespasses as I forgive those who trespass against me. I think that that goes hand in hand with what you were pointing out. Okay. Brendan, go yeah. ahead. Sorry, I got distracted real quick. My Zoom now recognizes when I raise a hand and it does a little emoji and it was, technology is amazing. Anyway, <laughs> what we've been talking about again really is, again, do, maybe it's the wrong question. I don't know um, because God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And I think we learn a lot about the nature of his mercy and forgiveness in the Psalms, which is the book of prayers of our of our Bibles. And with yeah. what Brother Paul brought up is, there is a prayer. Keep me from presumptuous sins. Search me and try me. Um, well, a comment was made earlier about, I, I think the person who says, well, I can just say a general confession and I'm good. Well, that doesn't fit the heart of a of a of a faithful fruitful believer as we see in psalm 51 and verse 17 the sacrifices of our contrite and broken heart uh david even prays in psalm 139 and verse 23 and 24 search me O god and know my heart try me and know my anxious thoughts and see if there be any hurtful or wrong way in me and lead me in the everlasting way and we go back to the context of john you had some there that were basically boasting that, and they were falling prey to that Gnostic heresy that whatever I do in the flesh, it's not my problem. And so John, before we get to even first John one nine, 
he says, if we say we have fellowship with him in verse six, and yet we walk in the darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. John makes the connection between what characterizes your life, what is your fruit, what is your path, and the heart. And so if a person who is walking in darkness is characterized that way, they have a whole lot of problems on their plate and other issues before God before we even tackle the whole, are they in the right position to even pray for forgiveness? No, their whole life is characterized by darkness. Meanwhile, I don't want to rob 7, 8, 9, and 10 of the assurance and the power it gives the believer. That is, if we are living faithfully, and faithfully defined as Paul defines in Romans 4, not perfection, but we continue to act and walk in faith of our God, endeavoring to keep his law and be pleasing to him. Then we have abundance assurance that God cleanses of our sins and he forgives us. Now, on the practical thing, and I've used this on counseling members, are you doing everything you know you, know you need to be doing as a Christian? I don't know a single person who would say no to that. Yeah, I'm, I'm doing everything I need to, I, I know I should be doing. When you, when the word or somebody exposes to you that you're not, like you failed in some area, you violate or you've committed sin, omission or commission, do you ask for forgiveness for that? Well, yeah. You're doing everything God's expecting you to do. Um, and so I see there's room for both. You know, as John said, in Matthew, uh, the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus said, forgive us this day of our trespasses, okay? That can happen. God honors that. But when you do come across, you did something, you know, that was wrong, or I failed to do my duty there. You have a responsibility to pray for forgiveness right then and there. And it doesn't need to be a drawn out thing. It just needs to be sincere and like, Lord, yeah, that was wrong. Help me to do better. Forgive me of that. And you move on your day um, because the whole of the Christian life is a life of progressively becoming more like Jesus, which means we're all a work in progress. That doesn't justify sin. That doesn't justify um, uh, the failure to do what we ought to be doing. Um, but the forgiveness in God's grace there is supposed to be a, a encouragement for us to keep pressing on. And forgiveness should be an encouragement and assurance that we can be right with our God. It shouldn't be something that becomes a burden or becomes anxious or troublesome making to the soul where we feel like we can never do this right because I'm going to miss something. So we shouldn't uh, have to on our deathbed every three minutes be scared and say, God, forgive me my sin. Father, forgive my sin. We should be trusting in him. Um, and he is greater than our shortcomings, our, our remembrances and stuff that begin to fail. And real quick here, help me remember, because we've, we've got a, a, a kind of a question that relates to this that came in from uh, Janine. Um, in Second Corinthians, I believe it was in our study, I'd go back and find it, Paul kind of talks about that even if he was to condemn himself, God is greater. That sound familiar? <laughs> yeah. Um, at least that was what I took away from it, showing that even if we are hypercritical of ourselves, fundamentally God knows our heart. He knows our minds. He knows our thoughts. He knows our actions. And so we need to trust him. Like you said, do what we need to be doing. Seek to serve him. But trust him 
um, and so forth. So the, the question right, that came John, in real quick, let me. Yeah. Oh. John, can I throw out a couple of things real quick? First of all, that Actually, hey, first. hang on. Okay. Hold on just a minute. Let me bring this up and then bring that in. So in relation to this, Janine says, where in the Bible does it say God will give us time to recall this sin? So uh, then we can confess and repent. And that's kind of kind of the point, Jenny, we were making. The passage, let me bring it up here, that is used to kind of support that idea by some is Revelation 2, verses 20 and 21, and talking about that Jezebel. And there the phrase, and I gave her time to repent, and she does not wish to repent of her sexual immorality. Some say that phrase, and I gave her time to repent, is what God does for us. And so that's for their way, their, that way we have to remember every single deed. I don't believe it does. I don't believe that passage teaches that. I think it's specifically for Jezebel. God gave this woman time to repent and she did not do that. Yeah. So I, absolutely. I agree with you. There's not a passage that says that, that I found. Um, all right, go ahead, Tom. Sorry. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, the verse you were mentioning is first John three twenty. by the way. Uh, if our hearts condemn us, God is greater than our heart and knows all things. So it wasn't Paul. It was John. Yeah, Thank was you. John. Okay. That's yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Okay. Yeah. yeah. Say shortcomings. But, uh, shortcomings. Yeah. Yeah. Well. 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 I just looked it up on my. I just used the concordance to look it up. But anyway, I'm not doing uh, anything over here. I should have looked it up. Yeah. You know. Another, you know. You know. Building on what Brendan yeah. said, that, that's kind of the view that I take on this. You know, if if you have a specific sin that you are aware of, you need to specifically ask for that. But you know, somebody that is of the sincerest of hearts you're going to conclude by saying, if there's something I don't know about, please forgive me of that also. Yeah. So, so that that's combining them together. And, and I think there's a good passage that in a roundabout way emphasizes the type of a concept, you know, in, in Matthew's account of the great commission, Matthew 28 verses 19 and 20, you know, Jesus says there, you know, go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you. Now, that last statement there, I, I, when I use this verse, I'll emphasize that Jesus is not saying you have to know everything in order to become a Christian. You know, I've heard people say, you know, I'm not ready to obey because I don't know enough. The, the point yeah. that Jesus is dealing with there is that is an attitude. Teaching them to observe all things I have commanded you is an attitude that whatever I learn, I need to do. I'm, I'm going to do that. If I learn that I've been doing something that is sinful, I'm going to quit doing that. If I learn there's something that I have not been doing that I ought to be doing, I'm going to do that. So rather than being about all things, it's an attitude where I'm willing to observe all things that you have given me. And I think that ties into this concept of asking God forgiveness for our sins, where repentance and confession are involved. You public, or, or I mean, you not well, if needed publicly, but, but the point is, is you specifically request that which you specifically are dealing with. And you can still be general going beyond that. You know, you know, better to be safe than sorry. Yeah. That's my thought. Yeah. And I think also maybe maybe we do run the risk sometimes of creating more sins than what's in the Bible. You know. Um, oh, so oh, you, oh, yeah, yeah. So someone walks into the building and you don't shake their hand because you've got your mind on something else and you unwittingly snub them. 
Well, they walk away and say, well, you've sinned against me because you ignored me. You don't have your love for me and everything. Well, then yeah, I they tell because, everybody about you about it. Yeah, it's I think sometimes <laughs> we can kind of like the Pharisees. We, we end up making burdens hard to bear because in our mind, we reason it to be wrong when it may be a matter of judgment. It may be just a matter of choice. It was not the right best choice at the time, but stick to scriptures. What does the Bible say on all subjects? Yeah. Okay, let's see. We've got a few minutes remaining. So, oh, go ahead, Paul. Hi, Paul. I was just going to say, and I'll be very brief, that mm -hmm. I think we have to be careful on a question like this. I'd realize that God is very capable of taking care of his business, and we just need to do um, what yeah. we're told to do, to live yeah, as faithfully amen. in every way as we can. And, you know, I find that to be the answer to so many things, and, and I maybe maybe it's a cop-out on my part. But sometimes I just have to say that that God's God's uh, exceedingly capable of all that He says and all that He needs to do, uh, and we just need to focus on our end of it uh, and not not try to figure out how God does all that that He needs to do. Uh, and so, yeah. and, and what was whatever, Robert Turner's favorite phrase? Yeah, whittling on God's end of the stick. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. and I think sometimes. Yeah, he, if we that's, if we, right. we we show a lack of trust in him when we think that our shortcomings can keep us out of his grace yeah and and yeah. you know uh, in this i don't mean to be overly i don't even know the word to use troublesome or something but just, but that's just overly I, yeah exactly <laughs> you know that's why i begin by saying you know, we have to be careful. It, are we in a circumstance where we're striving about words in some of these things? You know, be, be, because you're, you're dealing with good and honest heart. You're not dealing with, you're not dealing, I don't think you're not dealing with the continuous cleansing type of attitude where, you know what, God's going to overlook my sins of weakness and ignorance. That's a whole nother story. But in some of these things, we get so caught up. If you don't say it the way that I say it, then you have to be wrong. Uh, when in reality, you've got that person thinking that God's going to eventually reveal to me what my sin is so I can confess with it and be patient until then, versus the guy that, you know, just wants to make sure he's right with God. You know, uh, yeah. you know, both of them have the exact same desire to be right with God. And and it, 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 it's, it, it's not. The, and here's the other side of that. You know, somebody somebody goes to bed at night. And they utter their prayer of rote where they're not thinking very sincerely about what they're praying. They're just uttering the words, you know, you know, uh, and, and, oh, and, and in the midst of that, you know, well, you know, think about people that quote the Lord's prayer, quote unquote, Lord's prayer, and they do it in a public assembly. And, and the way you hear it, you know, our father, which is in heaven, hallowed be your name. Forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. You know, I mean, uh, have they asked for forgiveness there? Or is it, you know, just going through a going through the motions to say, okay, I've got that out of the way. You know, it's and, not magic and, and, words. Yeah, we're we're not talking yeah. about that. Yeah. You know, we're talking about people whose hearts genuinely want to be right with God and they're gonna do what they need to do. So, anyways. All right, Brendan. And maybe a good point just to summarize all this. Jesus taught a parable about the Pharisee and the tax collector in Luke mm -hmm. 18. And the tax collector said, have mercy upon me, for I am a sinner. 
And Jesus yeah. said that man went away justified. Um, there is a man who had a broken and contrite heart. Um, he may not have had remembrance of every specific sin, but he knew. He knew. I violate the law of God. And my only answer is God's mercy. And so, you know, that's, I think, there's a bow on everything we've talked about on this question because it's, it's, it's not one or the other. It's both and. It is the heart and it's the, it's the understanding. And God has provided this avenue of, of forgiveness. And, it, and really, I go back to what Jesus said. You love me. You'll keep my commandments and my command, commandments are not burdensome. When we start feeling or teaching the word of God to where it becomes a burden to the people, we got I think we have to double check what we're teaching because Jesus said the life of a Christian is not a burden. The life of the Christian is joy and peace in the Holy Spirit, not a burden that we feel like we have to care. And to me, the logical conclusion of this one position is it becomes a burden where I'm like keeping a log of all my sins so I can guarantee I, I prayed for every specific thing. And I just don't like the logical conclusions of that position. And I don't find the scriptures. So yeah. Luke 18, have the heart I of the got, I think I've got my quote for the um for the little story section that I'll share from this study what you just said there hmm. that's a good thing it's not a bad thing it's a good thing <laughs> <laughs> all right well let's see that's that's enough for today we'll we'll say Brian's question for another time and if you have any questions or comments that you'd like for us to try to tackle like i said we may not be able to give a perfect answer we may not give an answer that that you that you wanted to hear and our answers may be off, and we're still in the learning process. We all recognize that. But you can contact us. Uh, if you want to send us an email, you'll see it there on the screen. Send it to questions at truthfactor.com. If you really didn't like something Paul said, we'll write him, paul at truthfactor.com. And just follow the, 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 the thought or the logic there behind those email addresses. You can contact us through Twitter. We have a Twitter account, which is at truthfactorlive. And our Facebook and YouTube are also both Truth Factor Live. Or you can even send us a text message. I'll check some point this week, 405-726-1179. We'd love to hear from you. We've had several comments today. I appreciate it. Michael Davis, it's good to see you with us again. Michael used to be on um, that. On He used to be in our study. Like us, he all had a face for radio, as the expression used to be. Um, but it's good to have you with us today. Lori White, it's good to have you in our study uh janine bowles and let's see chris kramer and ron griffin if you're still uh watching us here we appreciate you being with us today my lovely wife rhonda thank you so much everyone for joining us for our study guys i think next week we're going to be looking at ecclesiastes starting our next book study and so we're looking forward to that all right thank you very much everyone i appreciate you joining us today and lord willing we'll be back here again next thursday at 11 o'clock a.m central time for another Truth Factor discussion. Have a wonderful day.